The Spin-Off Podcast Network. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Buongiorno. Welcome to Dietary Requirements, the spin-off's food podcast. I'm your host, Simon Day, and today we are exploring my favourite cultural cuisine, Italian food. I'm joined by the spin-off's food editor, Alice Neville. Ciao, Alice. Ciao. And delicious business CEO, Sophie Gilmore. <laughs> Buongiorno. Happy World Pasta Day for last week. So. Thank you so much. An important day in my life. So in support of the podcast, we'd love you to subscribe, tell your mum, tell your friends, and we're going to open it up to any questions you might have about um, the world of food. We all, well, I think I'm a very good cook. Alice is a bit self-effacing. Uh, Sophie is um, officially well-trained um, after a trip to the Belly Maloo cooking school. But if you want any tips, any reviews, any requests, we're here to help. You can email Alice at, at Alice Neville yeah. at thespinoff.co.nz. And we wouldn't be here without our wonderful sponsors who each week provide us, uh, each month provide us with food and drink um, to consume on the pod. So Dietary Requirements is brought to you by Freedom Farms and the Fine Wine Delivery Company. Freedom Farms believes that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how that animal has been farmed. They're dedicated to providing you with the best pork, free-range chicken and eggs. And you can check out all their products on freedomfarms.co.nz. And don't forget to ask your supermarket to stock their stuff. Today we're eating a really delicious uh, pork ragu with tagliatelle made by my wife Millie. I thought you were going to say by my wife, Stefani. No, sometimes <laughs> I wish, but uh, in another life. Um, I will marry an Italian chef. And the Fine Wine Delivery Company is all about bringing you the best wine, beer, and spirits at the best price. We've actually just cracked into an Aperol Spritz, which is part of a package that they sell, which is a wonderful th- thing to think about as summer approaches. They've got amazing superstores where you can fill up your flagoon, in uh, Lun Ave, Mount Wellington, and um, Constellation Drive on the North Shore. Check out all they have to offer at finewinedelivery.co.nz. So in some exciting news, we are doing something slightly gloriously shambolic today. That's perfect timing for Jose to charge into the middle of the pod. We've got a podcast on, Jose. 
Look what we're cooking. Are you coming to join us? Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that's all right. I was just celebrating the shambles that this is going to be because we are cooking um, live on um, air. Sophie's currently uh, just pulled the pasta out of the water for her kakio e pepe. Um, and later we're going to be talking to John Kerwin about his uh, branching out into wine. Um, but first, how, are you all right, Soph? Yeah, good. She's using a rice cooker over a camping stove. So if, yeah. if we all stop speaking, uh, you'll know why. I've had to make do in my time a bit, so. Um, but Italian food is... My favourite type of food. It's Sophie's favourite type of food. Ella? Yeah, it's it definitely, definitely well up there for me. Um, what is it say, that makes yeah. it so special? I love pasta, and it's weird to me out when I meet people who are not that into pasta. I just think pasta is like the best thing in the world, and cheese, and I don't know. And it's very um, vegetarian-friendly, I think, Italian cuisine. It's very... Celebrates fresh produce. It's good. Simplicity. Simplicity, yes. I think that's why pasta is so good because when you learn how to make pasta, I was blown away at the fact that it was just eggs and flour. Like you can make the most basic pasta, most beautiful, fresh, silky smooth pasta with just eggs and flour. Okay, so Sophie is just serving up the cacio e pepe, which looks Delicious. It looks like dried pasta to me. Dried pasta? Should we have this debate now? Or? I, th I think we should have this debate okay. uh, now, but once Sophie has a chance to sit down. To defend herself. Yes. It, would, it does look, the texture of the sauce looks perfect, so if, um, I love the punctuation of the black pepper in terms of colour. I'm very excited. It does Good. look beautiful. I'm pleased. Yes. Thank you. Oh, yes. Did you salt your water before you put it on to boil? A lot of salt. A lot of yes, salt? Yes, a lot of salt is necessary. Salty like the Mediterranean. Yes, that's my favourite tip. But So that's a little bit of a tip. You taste your water before you put the pasta in it. You want it to be as salty as the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you. Is the Mediterranean Sea saltier than other seas? I don't think so. I think it's just a romantic notion. But my point was... I do it when it comes to the boil because I heard that if you put the salt in cold water, it's slower to come to the boil, but that could be bullshit. I don't know. I've been really, really surprised, and I'm a lover of salt, by how much salt uh, is used in the salt, fat, yep. acid, heat uh, series. That um, It's unbelievable. Yeah, she talks about, in the book, um, don't think about pinches of salt, think about palmfuls, palmfuls which I like. Palmfuls of salt. Yeah, but it does, I mean, it's very important. I've become, among our friends, known for um, my affinity for salt. I was once given, well, I was actually this year given salt from my birthday from uh, that new brand, William Watercress, and um, I was also once made fun of for carrying around a little shaker of um Mold and sea salt in my handbag. I don't think you were made fun of. It was a tribute. That's how you became the Beyonce of the New Zealand yeah, food team. I own it. Thanks, Simon. No, I'm, I'm really happy to own my um, passion for salt. My husband feels like 
about pepper like I do about salt. Oh, so. you two are made for each other. Well, no, not really, because when I cook for him, I have to use less salt, and when he cooks for me, he puts too much pepper in things. Mm. This dish would be oh the exception. God. I've dug in. It's very good. This is very vegetarian-friendly. Yes, it is. I think that that's what I love about Italian food is that there is often three ingredients, mm. four ingredients maximum. I don't have any desire to have 17 different flavours in my mouth. That doesn't exactly. rock my socks off. Simplicity. It's real good. Simon, what do you think about the cacio e pepe with dried linguine? See, it's already going a little, uh, not stodgy, but it's starting to stick together. So Simon believes that fresh pasta is inherently better than dried. Superior across the board, he Whereas says. Sophie and I. It's perfectly cooked, Sophie, and it's delicious. No, the truth. And that dried pasta and fresh pasta are just different. And different regions of Italy have different traditions of making fresh pasta or dried pasta. And dried pasta is suited to certain sauces. And fresh pasta is suited to different sauces. Exactly. And this one, for example, I think, um, you know, it's the old buy the best you can afford. But the Italian pasta that you can buy in the supermarket here made, made by, oh, I'll give this a go. Rusticella Drabruzzo. <laughs> anyway, it's in the brown paper bags in the supermarket and you buy it in one kilo lot, which actually makes it seem doubly expensive because everything else is 500 grams, but it's certainly not cheap. But the edges of the pasta are rough, which means that if you want to coat it in a sauce, the sauce coats each strand quite well compared to the old slippery one that you normally get. Well, I've just stopped in at Pasta Egg. Cuore, my favorite restaurant in Auckland, and I love that they're also a pastaficio, which means you can go in and buy uh, fresh pasta. And this was handmade by an Italian nonna uh, just half an hour ago. It's spaghetti alla citara, and I think this would be even better suited to cacio e pepe oh. because it has four sides. It's a square spaghetti. It's silkier. It has more surface area to participate with, and it will always, seeing it was just made half an hour ago, it will always have that extra eggy flavor and that superior silky texture. Yeah, look, I think um, I'm looking forward to trying it, and I think we should probably do a 2.0 with that pasta. I think ultimately if your ingredients are good quality, and um, your argument appears to be on the basis that we've all got time to whip up fresh pasta, 30 minutes before we eat it, then perhaps they would be neck and neck. But we don't always have that time, Simon. I find that fresh pasta often goes a bit mushy and I miss the al dente-ness of very good quality dried pasta like this. I think that's just because you're leaving it in the water too long? Well, it's not when I've cooked it, actually. It's Is it when you buy it or you're served it in a restaurant? I don't want to name names, but once I was served some fresh pasta in the spin-off office and I thought it was a little bit perhaps overcooked. I was uh, I was catering for 25 people, Alice. Oh, I'm just saying, just saying. Over four camp stoves. She didn't name names, Simon. I didn't name names. It was delicious. But I guess because it cooks so quickly, that's a harder thing. 
Well, we've run out of gas on the camp stove, so I don't think it'll be possible to overcook this tagliatelle that I've put in. We might just wait a little bit longer. Excuse me, seeing as there's no rolling boil, which will give us a chance to um, talk about uh, the Last Supper, the last great Italian meal that you've had. Sophie? Um, Look, I hate to sound like a wanker, but mine was in London. (laughs) I went to the River Cafe um, just before I came home and firstly my mother was meeting me in London and said she thought we should have one really nice meal when we're there, which is kind of laughable because I had booked about 17 restaurants, but I let her believe that this was the one special meal. So um, after that, when I was at the Ballymaloo Cookery School, the teachers there, Rory O'Connell and Darina Allen, and Rachel Allen, but Rory in particular, often referenced the River Cafe. And so my excitement just absolutely peaked before I'd even got there. So it could have gone either way, right? But we arrived and it was a perfect sunny day. As we know, that's not that normal for London. No. It was, um, there was four of us. So I went with my mum and my cousin and my friend George. We had a delicious bottle of champagne to start with. They had a really great wine list. The menu was simple, but um, we had a taster of things from each course. When I mentioned I was from um, the Ballymaloo Cookery School, they sent over some zucchini fritti to us, which was oh, yum. delicious. Um, and the service was awesome. Like the waiter was giving us attitude. It was my kind of food. It, it couldn't really have been better. And is the River Cafe Italian? Or yes. deeply Italian influence. Yeah, so I was raised on the River Cafe cookbooks. It's very Italian. And um, it's simple Italian food. My cousin gave me the cookbook for my birthday. And they'll have pasta with pesto as a recipe. And if you follow their instructions, you just you can understand why you wouldn't even need anything else in that pasta. It mm. was um, amazing and Rose was cooking, and so I was a bit starstruck by that. And Rose? If you're ever there. Yeah, so Ruth and Rose are the two founders of the River Cafe. And um, Ruth died a few years ago. And so Rose was cooking and let me take a photo of her. And I was blushing the whole time. It was absolutely wonderful, and I could go on all day, but I won't. That sounds delightful. Alice, have you had Italian food recently? Funnily enough, this weekend was very Italian themed for me. I went I, to. I hear you're a little bit hungover, and I was a little bit hungover. I think Italian food is some of the best hungover food you can buy. Hundred percent. Yeah. When I used to live with Sophie, it wasn't uncommon for uh, box after box of Prego to travel across <laughs> the road from uh, to our Franklin Road flat. So you're a little bit hungover. Where did you mm. end up? Went to Amano. In Britomart. Yum, in yum, yum. Yep. Set up at the bar, which is, I think, new. I don't think they used to have seats there at the actual bar, not the chef's pass. And we got cacio e pepe, like this one, which was equally as delicious. With big, Surely it was more delicious. Well, I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> with big, um, I think they were called piperigati, big, like, shell-type Mm. Pasta, which I'm sure was freshly made, it was delicious, mm. and yeah, it was just so good and just what I needed. Ooh, what um, are you doing there, Simon? 
So we've moved on to the uh, Tagliatelle pork ragu. I actually forgot we were recording a podcast and just ate a whole bunch oh, yeah. of pasta. I don't know if I've got any room left mm. now. You have to have room. I'm sure I can find it. You know how people just talk about having a second stomach for dessert? Yeah. I don't really like dessert, but I've definitely got a second stomach for pasta. Yeah, I hear you. And what else? Oh, we had uh, zucchini flowers stuffed with ricotta and a nice chug grilled eggplant. And mozzarella with tomatoes. So good. Delicious. I love the food at Amano. Yeah, it's I love how they're generous good with vibes. the pancreatata, you know. Like yeah. Pasta. All of them have got breadcrumbs on the top of yeah, them yeah. as well. Give it all to me, I say. Yeah. And then on Sunday, we had a podcast team outing. That was fun. Our first school trip. Yeah, to the Festival Italiano in Newmarket, Auckland, um, which was fun. I, before you guys arrived, I had pizza frita from Gusto, which is oh. just deep fried pizza, so you can't, can't lose there. The line for that place was enormous. I know. So you waited in it? No, nah, because I was there at like 11. Right. So I just got in. Yeah, that is that is how you food festival, eh? Yeah. Get there before eating time. Yeah. And did you um, eat anything else before we arrived? Yes, I had a cannoli with pistachio cream, which was very tasty. Oh. I saw all the dessert lovers really queuing up for that place. Pretty good. Just like bite-sized little tube of deliciousness. I don't know if I've ever had a cannoli. They're quite good. They're, yeah, you don't. Because well, I don't really like sweet stuff. Yeah. It doesn't really appeal, but. Kind of like an Italian brandy snap. On, on the basis of your recommendation, Alice, I'll give it a go. Yep. And then, oh, and I had an Aperol spritz, of course, as we are drinking now. Yeah, I mean, Simon really enjoyed his Aperol spritz on Sunday. That's right. Didn't he drink it while we were still ordering <laughs> yes. drinks? And then I and said to the woman behind all. the bar, could we please have another one? My friend is finished. Mm. And she said no. Hmm. So no binge drinking at the Italian food festival, Simon? You know when Simon? people get stressed out and they're very busy, there were long lines and they just make decisions that don't make sense. So I understood. I understood yeah. the struggle. Maybe she thought you were saying, like, just give us another one because he, he didn't get his, like you were pretending that it never happened. I don't know. I think she was pretending he never happened. It was a very nice yeah. Sunday out and I think it really showed the deep popularity of Italian food and culture across a really broad spectrum of... Um, Aucklanders, yeah. 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 I thought that too. There was every single type of Aucklander that you could imagine there and everyone seemed to be having a hell of a time. Hmm. It was charming. And so then when we were together, we had the meatballs from Baruzzi. Oh, yes, and I had a veggie meatball. That was good. Yes. I ate quite a lot. It's all coming back to me. Yours seemed quite um, rich in flavour. It was spinach. Mm. Spinach-esque. <laughs> it was very spinachy. Can't really remember what else. Clearly, I'd had too many Aperol spritzes. Mm. I struggled to eat it. That's all I remember. Like, it was quite messy. So Simon and I had the lamb version yep. to your spinach situation. And it was great. It was um, served in a flatbread. Mm. So Simon picked it up and nailed it in one. Quite clever approach to festival food, I think. Just, you know, flatbread, pick it up. Yeah, and they braised them in advance, so mm. they were ready for the volume. Yeah. And they didn't have a queue. Yeah. Everyone else was, um, yeah, there was quite a lot of cues, which is ultimately a good thing, but hopefully next time we get to eat more snacks. Yeah. Stack the paper, Italian food festival. Well done. Mm. And I'm going to chime in with not my last supper. I have oh, yes. um, slightly adjusted the concept, and I've imagined if I was about to die, my what my last supper would be. 
death row meal. Hopefully mm-hmm. I hadn't committed a crime. I'm hoping that I'm like 108 <laughs> and just on my last legs. I would request yeah. the um, sage and ricotta totoloni from Stefania and uh, in the butter and sage sauce. Oh, yes. And that would be the last thing I, I eat before I leave the earth. Massive props for that place. You do love it, don't you? Uh, she she was the one who, she's my pasta master. Yeah. She, um, you need one of those, don't you? Like a guru in She yoga? taught me how to mm. make um, handmade pasta. And she taught Millie, who has made this uh, tagliatelle. Looks beautiful. Well, David and I were supposed to come with you guys on that pasta course, but we had a holiday to save up for and we were broke, and now yeah. I've regretted it ever yeah. since that we She's, didn't go. Plug, she's still running the courses. They're fantastic time. Do it as a corporate Christmas. Do it as a birthday. Do it as a Tinder date. You know, it's it's a very versatile. That would be a, uh, classic, be a high rolling Tinder date. I'd be very impressed. Why is it expensive? Well, probably. ninety dollars. Yeah, well, I guess not too bad. Ninety dollars for a life school, Alice. Put a price on it. Yeah, true. S- never regretted it. Maybe not a first Tinder date though, because then you're stuck with someone. So now we're eating um, tagliatelle with a pork ragu. I really like the idea of replacing beef mince with pork because it's super fatty. I've used um, leek and fennel uh, in this. How do you say the sofrito? Yes, sofrito. Um, I, you know, a couple of fennel seeds, some wild fennel as a garnish, uh, and mushrooms to provide a little bit of bulk instead of tomato, uh, and then some. Cream of porcini to lengthen the sauce a little, and it's, it's it is pretty absolutely good. Absolutely delicious, eh? I think um, it's most similar. So, one of the teachers at Ballymaloo, we had a pass today, and he went on at length about how there is no such thing as a lasagna that stands up on its own in Italy. But the other thing was that there's the trick to exquisite Italian food is to be a bit mean with everything. So, he's like, when you make a Lasagna, use really thin slice um, sheets of pasta, do a little drizzle of bechamel and a slight sprinkling of the ragu. Oh, okay. And that's what Simon's done with his fettuccine. So you really get to enjoy all of the flavours without it being a huge pile of meat sauce. Mm. Just, I'd like to go back to that, but just before you finish, Alice, I'd like you to think really hard about this last mouthful of dried fettuccine. Mm-hmm. Linguine. Linguine. Oh, you saved me some. And I'd like you then to compare that to the naked uh, piece of handmade fresh tagliatelle, which an Italian nonna uh, made for you, especially just 30 oh, minutes ago. Okay, here we go. Think carefully about the difference in texture, is what I ask. Oh, it's, it must be a comparison mm. of texture because yours has no sauce on it. I was yeah. thinking I was absolutely in for the win. It's beautiful, this pasta. Yeah, it's lovely. But I, you know, I don't. I think one is better than the other. They're different. I think that the fresh pasta is beautiful with the ragu, and I think mm. that the cacio e pepe, if you're doing it with like a bucatini or a linguine, totally fine to use dry pasta. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the freshly made one is amazing, and if in an ideal world, if I could eat that all the time, I would, but I can't. I think we've reached the point where we're like an old married couple and we're arguing about something that we agree about. Yeah, probably. Um, no, because I don't agree with what Alice just said because I, I think sometimes dry pasta is in fact superior. Mm, yeah. And that's where we disagree, Simon. But let's leave it there. Take it outside afterwards. I've had a few. I actually put this on my Instagram story just to come into today with some ammunition and I had quite a few people respond saying, 
depends what you're cooking. Mm. Dried is better for something. Fresh is better for something. Um, some people said they're both amazing. There's no one that's sort of as as, as one-track-minded about it as you are. Well, it was because once I learned to do it, I realised it wasn't that hard. Eggs, flour, and some love. No. And, well, that was... Stefania's key teaching point was to me is, Simon, you're not giving it enough love. You are thinking too hard. You make a bagel. <laughs> that's what Camille said in her response. She said you can taste the love mm. and time and attention that's got into fresh, fresh pasta. But once you learn to do it, it's not, it's, you know, it's almost 45 minutes from nothing to something in the hot water. And it's worth, I believe it's worth it every time. Mm, but sometimes, like, you know. You get home minutes, at 8 o'clock. It's not a brief amount of time. You put on your water to boil and goes your dried pasta 10 minutes later. You Next know, minute. You're bloody hungry and you, that's just hits the spot. Yeah, exactly. I've found, um, I've just for an update for listeners, I've almost eaten two bowls of pasta mm. and it's only 11.30 in the morning. <laughs> Aperol spritz and two lunches before 12 is, um, is a good buzz. Yeah, that's, yep. that's a strong effort from mm. us. But it's also late recognition of International Pasta Day because I think we all needed to stop and have a moment it's of very silence that day. day anyway. Yeah, it's, an, it's such an important day. Who comes up with these days? Like, I don't know. There is a calendar because you know those really shit social media accounts that like use it as content. <laughs> like every day there'll yeah. be a different day. Mm-hmm. It's like the day of the donut, the day of the. I really feel like you missed a big day for your social media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm embarrassed. Good content. So although we made a little mess, I'm going to call that a complete success, cooking uh, while talking shit. A great success. And my Aperol spritz is only halfway drunk. Two delicious meals. Does anyone know anything about Aperol? Yes. Because I know nothing. I know it's Italian. I know it's beautifully bitter and delicious on a hot summer's day or in a stuffy... um, Recording studio when you've sucked up all the oxygen with a camping stove. <laughs> For pure so if we sound a little sort of slurring our words, we're not drunk, we're just passing Dying. out. Yeah. Uh, yes, I used the internet to do some research into Aperol. How when, professional. I know. Of course you did. Uh, it was invented in 1919. It contains kind of some sort of botanically type thing, something called gentian. Cincona, which is what's in tonic. It does have those medicinal notes yeah. that, without tasting like medicine, though. Yeah. Um, and rhubarb. And the spritz dates back to 1805 in the wake of the Neapolitan Wars, when Venice and its surrounding area went to Austria-Hungary, and they started adding, so they're like Austro-Hungarians, sorry, this is getting quite nerdy, a splash of water it. to the local wine, which in German is a spritz. So that was then a spritz. And then at some point it became, they started adding sparkling water or soda water. And then they started adding various liqueurs. No one's quite sure when Aperol started being used, but maybe like the 1950s. 50s. Yeah. And But apparently it didn't become like, a, like spritzes were always a thing, but Aperol spritz kind of only became a huge thing in the 2000s when it, like the marketing behind Aperol got into Yeah, it. some sort of PR powerhouse. Yeah. They kind of nailed it, though. They did. That's what I love about kale, wasn't it? Like, I mean, it's what we feed sheep in New Zealand, but an American PR company yep. did spend like a million bucks on marketing 
kale and they changed the brand of kale and then every American restaurant had kale salad on it. It's kind of amazing. Do, do Italians drink Aperol? Do they drink yeah. Aperol spritz? Yeah. Because oh, I've yeah. always found it really funny that um, in New Zealand, Peroni is sort of a upmarket uh, beer for the upper middle class when they're trying to be adventurous, when in fact in Italy it's what you get as a 16-year-old when you're trying to get pissed. Yeah. Um, that's another amazing marketing stunt. Yeah. Is, is, convinc- is convincing um, people from far, far away that this is a fancy Italian brew. Yeah. Shout out to Jade Clark on that one. Does Jade love the Peroni? She's a friend of mine who is the uh, marketing manager for Peroni in oh. New Zealand. Uh, Tell her to keep doing what she's doing. Yeah. Also, I'd like oh, to note that you. Alice, our... Um, Resident beer expert had a couple of Peronis on, no, yes. one Peroni maybe I on Sunday. I had about three. I felt like taking a photo of you drinking something so I'm mainstream. Not, I know. Who, she kind of didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I don't mind a Peroni on occasion, you know, if there's nothing else. I know, you just like to have the the more serious beers. Yeah, the hard if I've got a hops. choice, I want the hops. Um, I remember back to Spritzers going to Venice about 10 years ago and seeing people drinking this orange thing that looked like Fanta. And thinking, what's that? And then we heard someone ordering a spritz, so we got one. My friend went out on a date with a ginger guy, and (laughs) she kept, when he offered her a drink, she kept ordering um, vodka and Fanta. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah, I thought it was a good gag. (laughs) How did he? We digress. He he took it in his stride, which I I think has a certain charm to it as well. Yeah. Was she having a laugh? Or yeah, she... she didn't know she was having a laugh. Surely no one actually seriously Fan, drinks Fanta vodka. And... Yeah, I get I it. I think so. Fanta's delicious, <laughs> though, so I'd be into it. Sure. You can, of course, have other spritzers, like a Campari spritz, which I like. It's a bit more hard-hitting, a bit more alcoholic. I was going to say I pref- Aperol's got sweetness in it, so mm. I think it's quite nice half-and-half half Campari and Aperol. Oh, nice. At Amano, I had a Capaletti spritz, which I hadn't heard of, but Capaletti is like a liqueur similar to Campari. All right. It was quite nice. You could really go to town on the spritzes. When I was in Portugal, yeah. I was drinking white port and tonic. Oh, nice. Absolutely delicious. They put just so the uh, Porto tonic is just white tonic, white port, sorry, with tonic and then um, an orange, well, a piece of orange rind rather than a slice yeah. of orange. Yum. And it was absolutely delicious. Don't you love when great wait staff do that for you? As you know, you're thinking about the cliche drink that you know, the Aperol Spritz in yep. there. About like, how about a what was it called? Capaletti. Capaletti Spritz. The start. The bartender at Ostro, I ordered a Negroni in the middle of winter, and he's like, "Look, I have the perfect alternative for this sort of weather," and he made me what's called a Bolvadier, where you replace um, the gin of a Negroni. Mm-hmm. With a um, a bourbon, mm, so it's darker. Oh, wow. It's a little bit more creamy, and those vanilla notes. It's quite wintry, and it was um, absolutely delicious. It sounds good. Yeah, that is interesting. I, f- I can see how that would be wintry and warm. So a new segment that we're going to try, and that we hope is going to be helpful, and this is where you can send us any questions that you might have, is called Cook's Corner. Where we're going to give out a little bit of advice, those tiny little cooking tips that can make a huge uh, difference in your world. And um, today we're going to be Italian focused, of course. And 
We talked about it on Sunday and Sophie had a couple of really, really good tips. One to do with pasta water. Um, the tip with that is do not throw it out. So once you've cooked pasta in salty, like the Mediterranean water, um, it's full of starch and that wa- that water will therefore make a sauce that has a creamy-like consistency. So if you're making carbonara, for example, you add that sauce to egg yolk and cheese, and that's why people think carbonara's got cream in it, which it does in fact not. Um, but also, Sophie used to put cream in her carbonara. <laughs> I absolutely disagree Accusation. Um, and the other thing is that if you're making something like a um, – you might just be making a tomato passata type sauce, and if you want to incorporate cheese into a sauce instead of the, and you want the cheese to melt, um, you put a bit of pasta water, a bit of cheese, and stir a little bit more pasta water, a little bit more cheese, and stir, and they incorporate. It's almost Ooh. like how you emulsify a pasta sauce, if that makes sense. So never throw away the pasta water, folks. How do you get Good your pasta water? Pasta water. How do you catch it? So if you're Using a pasta pot, you can pull the colander out of the pot and just make sure you don't tip the rest out. If you're doing it in a regular um, pot and you're pouring into a colander, make sure the colander is sitting over a bowl so you do exactly what you would otherwise do, but underneath the colander instead of a sinkhole is your bowl, catching Mm -hmm. the liquid gold. Would you put pasta water in the fridge? I would if if I had leftovers and I planned to eat pasta the next day. David, David would. My husband certainly would. <laughs> if you if you want to reheat pasta, um, often it's dry and in theory needs to be eaten straight away. But if you've kept some of the pasta water and you heat that the next day and add that back into the pasta, it will loosen up the sauce and it will become creamy rather than watery. It's a good idea because I often have leftover pasta because I tend to cook enough for like Ten people. That's funny because I was just thinking in my head, what is over pasta? (laughs) I always just cook. Like I'm like, oh, I might need more. Might need more. Yeah. And then I eat a lot of it. But Mm. yeah. And you also um, had some guidance on grating hard cheese. Yes. So um, this was reasonably controversial. I thought at the time advice that was taught to us at Ballymaloo, and it was basically if you're if you're grating hard cheese, it's best to use a box grater on the smallest side of it rather than to use a microplane. And the reason for that is that that's how you crumb the cheese. And if you're crumbing it, it comes off as little spheres of cheese which have flavour on all their edges. If you use a microplane, which we're all kind of accustomed to now, um, the cheese only has two sides because it's beautiful and light and thin but um, you do lose a bit of that flavour because it's only two-dimensional. Interesting. Yeah, and I've tried it. I really think it's correct. And the other thing about microplane cheese is that it's more difficult to incorporate into a sauce Yeah. if you are trying to. Kind of accidentally forms clumps because it's so fine. Yeah. And yeah. I so never knew what those little bobbles on the <laughs> other side of the um, box grater were for. I've never used them once. It's actually um, – It kind of didn't make sense. I did it last either. night because I made cacio e pepe at home and I think that it's important to note that there is a little bit more work involved. So because you're crumbing a cheese rather than slicing it with a blade, um, a bit of elbow grease, but I think that in, in most things cooking, the more 
effort and energy the better the end result. So suck it up, everyone. Yeah. Get your box graded out. The gliding and it's very easy and you feel kind of, and so much of it comes off. So you kind of feel like, I don't know, it's something nice about it. This cheese is on fire. Yeah, exactly. It it does look good. Mm. Any guidance, Alice? Oh, any tips? Well, I was going to say the, um, your pasta water should be as salty as the Mediterranean, but. Oh, sorry. I stole your tip. Well, it's a fairly obvious one, though. So, you know. How salty is it? I'll taste it. Taste it. Uh, yeah. That's a little I bit like catching a, catching a wave. Oh, nice. Excellent. A mouthful of seawater. Yeah, I, I went often, to town on that. I often make as just a simple weeknight dinner pasta with like a simple lemon juice olive oil dressing and with like a green veggie, heaps of. Parmesan, so maybe some chili flakes sometimes. Delicious. That's, that's something people um, underestimate is the amount of chili is used in Italian yeah. food. Mm. It's it's present so in so many places throughout the cuisine. I've got another one, um, which I, when you are hosting people, I'm often looking for things to serve before the meal mm-hmm. that are not carbohydrate heavy because I don't want to spoil people's appetites, but um, you want to give them something while they're having a drink. So... I really think that the rock melon with prosciutto around it is an excellent sort of yeah. palate wetter. So classy looking as well. And nice to have a glass. Of, like if you're cooking a meal, you may as well go the whole hog and do an Italian starter, make your pasta main course, and then make a tiramisu or something afterwards. Yeah. You know, So if you do the melon with the prosciutto, it's light and it's fresh and it doesn't spoil people's appetites. Mm. And I hadn't done it for years. I like it. My tip is more a piece of advocacy. I would suggest everyone learn to make uh, fresh handmade pasta because it's infinitely superior to dried <laughs> pasta. Um, not to hammer it, the point. It's, it's really not that hard. Um, I could teach you only $50 uh, a lesson or if you wanted a, a, a real pro, Stefania Pasta Cordi. Maybe just undercutting is, Stefania. I'm cheaper. I'm, but I'm cheaper for a reason. Do you know, do you know what I've noticed <laughs> is that cheerful. I sort of lean toward the um, pasta option of any cuisine. So often if I'm eating Malaysian food, I'll go straight for the mee goreng. Mm. Um, Ponsonby Road Bistro have, um, that's my favourite restaurant, Simon. Um, they have a really delicious Turkish menti on their menu at the moment and it just blows my mind. It's basically Turkish ravioli, but... yeah. If you're into it, that so sort of I, thing. Get it I, and I love um, Nepalese momos, mm. you know, dumplings of all kinds. Yeah, Chinese dumplings. <laughs> Just carbs. Maybe we're addicted carbs to carbohydrates, Simon. Probably. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I go to the gym. <laughs> I earn my carbs. You probably both went to body pump this morning. No, I, um, I didn't. I had to cook for you. Ah, oh, I you did know. both. And I had to write a story for Alice. About Thanks, Simon. visiting a Freedom Farms farm, which was yeah. really fascinating, but we can talk about that next time. Mm. This week's interview, um, I sat down earlier this month with Sir John Kerwin, most uh, well-known for his rugby playing career and his uh, fantastic work in the mental health sector, but he is also a food and wine nerd. And he has started bringing um, a range of Italian wines and liqueurs into New Zealand. 
He first moved to Italy uh, as part of his rugby career and just fell in love with the culture and especially um, the food and drink. He also fell in love with his wife there and that resulted in him creating a little bit of a life there uh, where he now spends about half to a third of the year. And he wanted to bring back a taste of his second home to New Zealand and he's got a really, really uh, exciting broad and um, delicious range of um, Italian wines from uh, the northeast. Venuto. Venuto. I think that's the correct pronunciation of his uh, home region. And I got to talk to John uh, about that. So here you can listen to me and JK. So we're really lucky today to be joined on Dietary Requirements by Sir John Kerwin. Buonasera, John. Buonasera, tutto bene. Dieta non ho mai fatto in vita mia. My Italian doesn't extend that far, although I would, I would love it to. I said I've never been on a diet in my life. That's, um, <laughs> the, 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 the podcast name is, is ironic. Yeah, I thought it might be. Yeah. That's why I've sort of thrown that in the early doors. We, um, we yeah. believe uh, in a diet of good food and good drinks. Yeah, so. Exactly. And that's why we've good, got... We're going to get along real good. That's why we've got <laughs> Sir, Sir John in the house. Just call me JK. That's why we've got JK in the house because um, in a very diverse career, there's been probably the most interesting sidestep of all into um, wine. Yeah. What do you call your current role? Is that wine merchant? Um, no, taster. <laughs> um, selector of the wines and then pass it all to my daughter to do all the work. Sort of, what would you call that? Grand Poobah. Yeah. The, the curator. Oh, nice. I like that. That sounds, that sounds way better. So I'm the curator of the wines. Um, no, I, I think it all started, well, it started a long time ago now. So it started, you know, 30 odd years ago for me, my love affair with food and wine, especially from the region where uh, we come from, which is the Veneto region. But I think um, two and a half, three years ago, we turned that sort of um, idea into a brand, into something that um, I thought would be a really cool family thing to do. Um, so trying to bring two loves and necessities together. And that's that's very Italian, a family business, um, you know, a passion for it. And I really like the idea of trying to, although it must be very hard, trying to break through a saturated, uh, boxed-in market in New Zealand where, you know, we, we know what we like and we, we buy what we know. Yeah, and uh, well, we're traditionalists, you know. I mean, I sat in the same chair in the changing room for... 10 years and um, um, you know be careful if you sat in my seat or in Sean Fitzpatrick's seat or in anyone's seat so we are traditionalists so it is hard to get New Zealanders to change because they'll go to the bar and I think it's a it's a positive and a negative I think because our money's so well earned we're not prepared to take risks so we're quite conservative so you go to the bar and you go look I've, uh, I've worked hard all week am I going to take a risk on a name of a wine that I don't really like and you know, well, you necessarily not, not, take that risk. No, I'm going to go back to my old Chardonnay. So, yeah. What makes um, Italian wine different, and especially from, from your region, what makes it unique? Yeah, look, I think um, there's such a big range of varieties, and for me it's the, the stories behind it. 
and the localization of a lot of it. Um, and so for me, it's how they drink it and why they drink it and why they like it. So, and we're used to traditional sort of, you know, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blancs, that sort of stuff. So over there, there's this wide range of stuff that you can try, which always intrigued me. So what I would perceive as a normal wine for me, um, people haven't heard of much here. And so that intrigued me. Also, we felt that just talking about the market, that we wanted to tell a story because um, wines are living for me, if that makes any sort of sense. So we decided to name our wines after people who we love and care about because I am the type of person that remembers things through situations. You know, like um, I'll remember us meeting and doing this because we were probably having a glass rather than, you know. So m moments in my life take on a life of their own. So it was really important that we um, created that through our wines as well. And has it has it worked? How's it how is it going trying to um convince Kiwis to try something different? Well it depends how you measure success. I don't really measure uh measure success on how many bottles in that we sell. Um I guess the the greatest thing is I'm working with my daughter. Um well I'm actually working for her. So um she was charging me for my own wines for a little while there. Which was a bit of a family discussion because I did it. Shrewd. I, I did it to drink free wine, but that didn't work out. But um, so that's been really, really cool because as an idea, it was for us to create a family business, and and that's working out really well. Um, we're getting a really loyal um, following, people who um, get our wines. A bit, the biggest risk is, you know, when you got my name on a wine, people go, "Oh, is this just a marketing ploy?" Uh, so the selections of the wines was really important. Our winemakers are really into what they do. Um, you know, the particular brand that we're about to have a little glass of, uh, a Caminera, um called Nono Mario, which is from a from my friend Gigi's um, vineyard called Casaroma. Next year they go completely organic, which they've been for a long time, but they've just had to apply for it. So, you know, Gigi... Um, I guess when he talks about his wines, you know, it's like he just—it's like a love affair for him. You know, he gets really animated. He really cares about what people are drinking. Uh, with one of our other wines, a Malanotte, you know, he won't do every vintage. He'll throw it out if he doesn't think it's good enough. So, you know, it's about the people. You know, it's about the people, and it's about um, what they put into the wines and what sort of passion they get into the bottle. So, Nono Mario, mm. who's that? That's my father-in-law. Um, and it's a Caminera. So Caminera, this is a really interesting story. So um, it was brought to the Veneto region by the Crusades um, and they planted and it was mistaken for a long, long time um, as a different wine. So they thought it was a Cabernet. Um, and what happened was it was also taken by a lot of the people from the Veneto region to other places. But this is what we drink every day. So we drink this every day. This would be your classic table wine. And you've got to remember that the Italians do drink every day. So they would open this every night. So this really reminds me of my father-in-law. Because if I went around to my father-in-law's house with a bottle of wine with a label on it, he would think that I've got too much money, I'm a big-headed. Because he goes and buys 50 litres of this and bottles it himself, and it costs him like $1.50 a litre, you know. 
Um, so I really want that doesn't to name... mean it's bad. Right? No, no, it's not bad at all. They, mm. No one in Italy really drinks a bad wine, um, you know. And I think that the the price point is how someone who doesn't know a lot of wines might think, oh, if that's a good wine, it must be worth X amount. So you go, oh, to be safe, you know, you would have done it yourself in the supermarket. Oh, to be safe, there's one at ten bucks and. One at twenty five. I'll oh, sure I'll take the seventeen seventeen buck one because that must be safe. Whereas in Italy, you know, all wines are pretty well priced. You know, so you go from sort of three euros fifty. I mean, I don't think I've paid more than twelve euro for for a you know for a a bottle of wine. So it's not an expensive thing to do. So it's about the quality, you know. And when you're drinking every day, and it's something you're doing as. Um a social event, you know, it's it's designed to go with food. This feels and tastes very, um, you know, almost refreshing. Yeah, it's 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 something that is uh, really crisp and clean, um, not too complicated. But it's something you could have every day. Yeah, it's and it's exactly exactly right. You know, I think um, for me, I'm not a, a sommelier. I'm not a uh, someone who knows a lot about wines, um, and I pick the wines that I like drinking, and so. This is a really good non-thinking wine. So you can just open it and, and drink it, you know, and you can have it with pretty much whatever you're having for dinner in the sort of meat category. Um, you know, I wouldn't have it, obviously, with with um, with fish and stuff. So for me, it's just a really easy wine. I don't have to think about it. I know it's going to be of a high quality, and it's a pleasure to drink. And I think that's really interesting for New Zealanders to think about as well because it's not um – at the same time as being really accessible, it's not familiar. It's it's not a Pinot Noir. It's not a Merlot. It's um, yeah. I'm laughing because um, and look, I'm the same. So this is not a criticism. This is just an observation. It's really interesting because one of the questions that stumps me the most is, "What have you got like a Pinot Noir?" And I say, "Well, nothing." Um, well, what's the closest? And I go, "Well, probably this, but it's nothing like it." So it's really hard, and that's that traditionalism coming out mm-hmm. of us, you know? Oh, I like a Chardonnay, what should I drink? Well, a Chardonnay, because I don't know. Um, and so we, because of our taste, we're always trying to get a comparison, maybe not make a big jump, you know? Uh, so it's a really interesting question. It's nothing like a Pinot Noir. Um, it's a Caminera. So. So, and that's where I think storytelling is so powerful. Instead of tasting like a Pinot Noir, to me this tastes like... Uh, the table I sat at outside on the streets of Bologna and had my first um, Tagliatelle al ragù di Bologna. Yeah, it tastes beautiful. like an event. It tastes like a memory. Yeah. And um, I think that's what, you know, if you're lucky enough to have travelled a lot like you have and to have that same sort of uh, recognition process where things come with um, stories and memories, that's, yeah. that's what you can do with um, good drink and good food. Is and, it and that, takes you to a place. Exactly, and that's exactly, um, you know, sometimes you might um, have a smell and it'll take you back to your childhood or take you somewhere or you'll remember something. And that's very much what I'm like with wine. So this is named after my father-in-law because when I used to go around, like when I first met him, it's lunchtime and, and um, he says, you want a wine? And I'm going, well, I can't really say no, but I shouldn't really say yes. You know, New Zealanders don't drink before five and, you know, we might drink too much after five. But we... So I was in this dilemma and, and, 
and he drinks wine every day. And so he just poured me a, you know, we had half a glass with lunch. And it was um, it was lovely. And I, f- I think I can remember rightly, we also had a ragu, but it was a ragu de lepre. Lepre? Lepre is, um, what's the big rabbit? What do they call the it? The hare? The hare, yeah. So um, that was absolutely beautiful. And I had this the other day. So a friend of mine does a lot of shooting, and he dropped me around some pheasant. So uh, my family don't like game that much. So I um, cut half the pheasant and put uh, chicken in it just to tone it down a wee bit. So you still get that gamey taste, but it's not that over-the-top taste. But it was a white pasta. So, And um, I had this, which was perfect. Because I didn't want to take away from the, the ragu. Um, I wanted to make sure that the ragu dominated, not the wine. That, I mean, this probably makes no sense. No, to no, the balance, balance. Food and drink is all about yeah. balance. You, um, you sound like you're pretty good in the kitchen. Um, you know, you, you know wine. You're pretty, pretty dapper this afternoon as well. How did um, Italy influence all that? You know, I imagine uh, leaving school at fifteen. Yep. Uh, Couldn't wait to get out of the joint. You're probably, you know, had it not been for rugby, you're probably going to be a butcher with yep. your dad. Yep. How did you end up um, a good cook? Because I imagine well, that wasn't not something a, I'm men. Not, I'm not oh, a no. good How did cook. you end up in love with food and drink? And um... I'm not a good cook. I enjoy cooking. I, 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 I've decided just recently that I need to probably try and take it to the next level. Um, so I do some things well, but other things not so well. So I just need to take that to the next level. But it was a really simple story. I was earning um, about $300 a month being a butcher for my dad, playing rugby. And at the end of the field one night, there was two guys standing there dressed probably similar to how I'm dressed today. One had long hair and a ponytail. And they stopped me after training, said, so we'd like you to come to Italy. And... Um, they said, uh, we'll pay you $3,000 a month, right? So from 300 to 3000 So I go home, I'm really excited. And my dad says to me, oh, who are they? And I sort of said, oh, they're from Italy. And he said, well, how are they dressed? And I explained that. And he said, um, yeah, well, don't trust them. So I had to go back and do some more research for my dad about who they were. And they turned out to be representatives from from Benetton, and so I went home and said to Dad, yeah, it's true, Dad, they're going to pay me $3,000 a month. And Benetton is the, the club in yeah. Veneto? Yeah, yeah, exactly, in Treviso, where I, where I eventually went to. And so Dad said, well, that's way too much money for you, so you can take your sister and your brother-in-law and give them half. So he went over and played for another club. But I think the biggest thing I remember is landing. So I was brought up a butcher, meat and three veggies. Dad would come home and have a lion red or a whiskey, and mum would have a white wine out of a cask, probably cooked chazoo or something like that. And um, I landed in Italy and all of a sudden the first evening there was five courses with all different wines and, and um, you know, three desserts. And I thought, oh, these, these guys are really spoiling me, you know. They must be really excited I'm here. That was a bit big-headed to think about because that happened the next night and the next night and the next night. It had nothing to do with me. It was all about food and, and um, their whole life revolved around a good meal. You know, I remember we lost the semi-final to L'Aquila, actually, Frano Bodica's team. We played like dogs. It was embarrassing. And Craig Green and I were really upset about it because we just didn't front. 
And we stopped at this restaurant that they've always stopped at to have seafood on the way home, and we ate poorly. Do you know the Tuesday night when we got together, you know what they spoke about? The food? Exactly. They hadn't. They didn't even talk about the game. And I realised then that, you know. Food's, food's, <laughs> food's bigger than rugby. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's got a – and so I just fell in love with that culture where you're, you know, and it's a, it's a pretty nice way to live. You know, it's a really nice way to live, thinking about eating well, good company. It's an important thing. We were talking about the memories that food and drink can carry. I don't have any good memories of Grappa. Mm. I think I need some guidance on how. So, yeah, and that's the saddest thing. You, okay. yeah, that's the saddest thing. So um, what's the best way to explain it? Our yard glass. Right, you imagine if an Italian came to New Zealand, they said, uh, "Right, you got to do a yardie." You know, they'd probably have this horrible thought of beer in New Zealand. So, what happens when you come to Italy? Normally, someone who you know will say, "You got to try this," right? And it's horrible. It's rocket fuel. So, bad grappa is really bad grappa, but good grappa is absolutely outstanding and an experience to savor. And grappa is something you um, offer. Yeah, yeah, we've got um, we've got some grappa based cocktails. So if a grappa is not over forty two percent, it can't be called a grappa. Okay. So if it's below that, so um, we have here tagliatelle, which is one of my all time favourites. Um, so I'll let you taste it. So you to make this, you've mixed grappa with. Yeah, no, it's got some. So a lot of grappas in Italy do have some. Or one of their seasonings or add, you know, they might add fruit, they might add um, roots and that sort of stuff. So the grappa-based cocktails that we have are, are based in in some flavourings put in them, but all natural. Still distilled like a grappa. So this particular intagliatelle, which means many cuts. So what happened was back in the old days, the, the poor people, and this is why I love this grappa, it just resonates with me and my dad. So the poor people used to come down the Brenta River and they'd go up into the, the grapperia, Nadini grapperia, and they couldn't afford real grappa, which we'll try in a minute. So what used to happen is at the end of the day, after they'd caught all the drops from the other grappa, they'd pour it into a big bowl and they'd give the poor people this. But all the mixes of grappa put together actually tasted that good that they decided to to make it into a grappa all by itself. So when you taste it, I don't know, can you taste well, it's, it's It's really, really accessible. Yeah. It's um, full of prunes and mm. dates and it's very sweet. It would be amazing after dinner. Yeah, and that's how you drink grappa. So grappas were, were born to um, basically settle your stomach, so burn the food off your gullet and settle your stomach after dinner. I This one I do drink a little bit like a whiskey, so I will come home chuck some cubes and ice in it and just have it. That would it be really nice too. Yeah. Um, so the reason we brought in, we brought in a tagliatelle, um, an amaro and an acqua di cedro. The acqua di cedro, the best way to explain it, it's like a limoncello, but it, because it's been distilled and made from a citron instead of a lemon, it's got a dry aftertaste and not a sweet aftertaste. And then the amaro, um, do, you, uh, um, do you remember the Sopranos? Yes. So he used to go into his New York restaurant and have an amaro, and the New York Times, um, the New York Times said, "Well, let's do a blind tasting. We don't know what amaro is. Americans are not big on it. What is it?" And they did a blind tasting, and the Nardini amaro won it. So you know that's really licorice and got peppermint 
and then after we've got a um, we've got a real grappa, as I would call it. So this is an extra fine, and the and the the most important thing to do with this this is really really important. So with a good grappa, with a good grappa, what what you do is tip a little bit in, yeah, and then and then put a little bit on your finger and just rub it on the palm of your hand. Um, palm on the on the yep. yeah, just you know we normally put the salt for a tequila. Sure. Now, if you just smell that, right? What you should be able to smell. Now, if you can smell dirty old socks, don't drink it. So the next time you're in Italy and a mate tries to give it, and you do that, and Taste you can it smell, first. yeah. Test it first. Yeah. So do that, and what you should be able to smell there is just some of the grape that this it's, has been made it's out. It's very clean. Yeah. And it's um, super aromatic yeah. without. Um, Blowing your brains out. Exactly. So now if you taste it, now the most important thing about a really good grappa is, and I don't know if this is a word because I went to De La Salle, um, the retro taste. Okay. So if you taste a good grappa, if you let it go down, what happens is then the taste will come back into your mouth and it should completely fill your mouth and it should stay there for about five minutes. Previously with grappa, I think that might have been acid reflux. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Or you've sculled it and you thought, no. So if you sip that back now, so that's so different to what I've yeah. proved. That's um, it's incredibly clean, uh, really beautiful um, aromatics. So, so grappa is made from grape. Gra grappa is made from the um, what do they call it? The the pulp of the grape. So once you've extracted all the the wine from it, all the skins and that go to this. The thing is with Nardini, they get it to the distillery within 24 hours so it doesn't start fermenting. And they have a selection of grapes of different varieties. So the most important thing now, you should be getting a really good retro taste through the back of your mouth. And, really big mouth and filling it, and, you yeah, know. And warmth through yeah, exactly. the body. Exactly. And so, um, you know... Uh, I went up to the distillery in uh, in July, and it was really interesting because the distillery commercially opened in 1779, but I went down into the cellars, and um, I'm looking at this date, and there's lines on the wall, and one of the dates was 1749, and I'm going, why do I know that date? Why do I know that date? Anyway, I asked them, I said, what's the line for? And they said, oh, the you know we lost all our grappa that year. The river flooded and came up and and took a lot of the... Grappa, and it was you know pretty significant time. There's other marks on the wall when the Brenta River flooded, and then it dawned on me, 1749. That's when Captain Cook <laughs> discovered New Zealand. You know, and I'm thinking these people have been around doing this for for so long. It sort of makes you feel really humble, you know. And and it shows how much um, knowledge and and skill and um, tradition has been passed on. For generation to generation, down these these families to make uh, these beautiful products. And look, we don't deserve anything from them. Um, we don't deserve. We we are a pimple on their bum, right? They're a massive company, and yet they treat us like family. And they are just so amazing. They care so much that we're trying to, um, you know make grappa something important in New Zealand that we really care. They're just so nice to us. We have sort of have to pinch ourselves, you know. So that's really nice. And it's a family business. You know, they've been you see their family tree and it's and it's unbelievable. So you know it's um it's it's just cool. And if you ever get the chance, anyone who's listening, if you go to 
um, you know, Bassano, Ponte di Bassano, eh, Francesca? It's like, this is, so they have their bar in the corner of the old bridge and you can go there, it starts at 8 o'clock in the morning and you can go there and have whatever you want and it's just always people there, always a great time. So it's a bit off the beaten track, you know, most New Zealanders will probably go to Florence and Rome and Venice but my suggestion is come to our town in Treviso, which is a medieval town. Great food, really traditional food from our region. And then go up to, um, you know, Bassano, Ponte di Bassano, and have a look and have some, um, you know, have some grappas and some aperitivos on the bridge. It's a pretty cool thing to do. And if you want a little taste of Italy in New Zealand, you can get uh, JK's wines from finewinedeliveryco.nz. Uh they, the full range is available, and they're bloody delicious. You can get their grappa from from them as well, and it's it's lots of fun. We've been really lucky to have a big Italian feast for one of our spin-off monthly um, shared lunches and got to drink a lot of your um, wine and grappa that day as well, so we're very lucky. Thanks a lot for your time, JK. Uh, hopefully have you back in the building sometime soon. Yeah, been a pleasure. Thanks for the chat. Loved it. Thank you for the for the grappa. It's changed changed my mind. Yeah. So as you can see, it's really not that hard to serve Italian wine with really beautiful Italian food. So next time you whip up a pasta, grab um, grab a camminiere from JK fourteen as well. <laughs> um, we've got some closing thoughts uh, from everyone. Some pointers to the website, the stories we've got going on, the spinoff.co.nz, and some really cool uh, goings on around the food scene in Auckland as well. Sophie. Um, so two things. Um, Everybody Eats is a food charity that I'm involved with and um, as many of you will know have recently launched in Avondale at the site of the Woodworks Cafe. So we have added um, to the original Wednesday evening a Thursday evening. I cooked the last three Thursdays and had a hell of a time. Um, as of next week, we're adding a Tuesday as well. So it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The ultimate aim is to have a full-time pay-as-you-feel dining concept um, where all the food is restaurant quality and it's turned into restaurant quality meals by volunteer chefs. As rescue food as well, right? All of the food would have otherwise gone to waste. And this is also an opportunity to hopefully feed those who might not have had a really great meal that night. Absolutely. So... um, I'll just quickly run through what everybody eats. Is it's a it's a pay as you feel dining experience that is built to recreate a restaurant experience for anyone and everyone, which is why it's called Everybody Eats. You come along, enjoy a three course meal. Um, you're seated at a shared tables, so it's a great way to bring all different types of people together. Um, and everybody pays what they feel. So if you can't pay anything, you pay nothing, and that's cool with us. So. It's getting busier and busier each week. We're getting to know all the Avondale locals, and um, that's in addition to the Monday night Jamaisi pop-up. So it's been fantastic, and um, we'll be going three days a week until the 13th of December. So if anyone would like to divert their Christmas party to Everybody Eats or sign up their workmates to come and jump into the kitchen or out the front of house and volunteer next year, um, that would be awesome. Just get in touch with us on the Facebook page. Cool. So Monday night. 
Jamaisy Street, which is K Road. Yes, in St Kevin's Arcade. Yep. And then in Auckland. Sorry for our outside of Auckland listeners. Yes, sorry about this. This is all Auckland, although everybody great, else will be going nationwide. And great food charities in Wellington as well that I know of. Yeah, so, um, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Avondale. Cool. And Alice, you had a recipe to pimp out. Yes. Um, Emma Boyd has shared a recipe. She's a great food writer based in Taranaki. Has shared a recipe for asparagus carbonara, which is very on theme. Asparagus, not traditional, but don't worry, she hasn't put cream in it. And that is up on the spinoff.co.nz forward slash food. Is that made with dried pasta or fresh pasta? It's made with dried pasta. Fascinating. Yes. A win a win for the women. <laughs> um, I have one more thing also. Just um, quickly, I wanted to talk about how much I love asparagus wheeze. Oh, my goodness. I think Simon. it's the most, um, you know, if you, you could bottle it and I'd wear it as a um, cologne. Wow. We once, You'd probably be the only <clears throat> person. Oh, no, don't share this story. I once had a few people over for dinner and I served asparagus and we had a few drinks. And later in the evening, we all uh, weed into wine glasses and sort of didn't taste it, just established that up front, but examined the different scents of everyone's asparagus urine. And the the breadth of flavours oh, was really, really fascinating. Goodness. You had like um, freshly mown grass, almost like cut herbs, all the way down to like really – Rich cheesy scents as well. It was um, it was really fascinating. Highly recommended as a. I'm I'm not highly recommended as a dinner party trick. Wow, (laughs) I just want to say that Tina, who is recording our podcast, has just got her hand on her face. She's She's gagging, horrified, and I think she speaks for all of us. It's science. It is fascinating, but I think the fact you did. I don't know. The wine glasses. Oh, I've heard this <laughs> so story before. That's but wrong with that story. Big Rydell Pinot Noir glasses. Oh, oh my god! You threw them away after. I just put them in the dishwasher. I know that would be terrible. And moving along, I would just also like to note that tomorrow is the kickoff of the annual Dine Aid campaign. So um, many people will know what this is because it's in its eighth year running. But Dine Aid is the two dollars that gets added to your bill in participating restaurants um, all over the country. So it's nationwide. Um, in the lead up to Christmas. And it's basically the hospitality industry's way of raising money for the food banks um, at the city missions in the lead up to Christmas. So if you're dining out with your work Christmas party and you see that the restaurant that you're at is participating, give them a high five and some props um, for doing their bit. And all of the um, the thing about Dine Aid that's different is that all of the money that's raised goes to feeding people, so it's all about food. When you eat and you donate, then other people get to eat. Um, and 100% of all of that money goes to the mission. So the overheads are sponsored. Um, Goodman Fielder is the current lead sponsor. So it's a really exciting campaign, and I'm excited for it to kick off tomorrow. Very so make worthy sure you get and out there. very important. Yeah, good one. Good buzz. Thank you all for listening. Do subscribe, do tell your friends, and... Do send any hints, tips, secrets, or questions. Or complaints about Simon's dinner party story. <laughs> send them to my mum. Triggered. <laughs> uh, but any, anything else, send to Alice Neville. N-E-V-I-L-L-E. At thespinoff.co.nz. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks, everyone. Ciao. Ciao, Bella.
Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.